Well, let's uh, let's ask the Lord for His guidance as we look into His Word to get today together. <clears throat> Lord, how thankful we are that the truth of what we just sang that You are calling us all by name. That the God of the universe who created all of the stuff that we see and know and experience knows us by name. And He's calling to us to come and find hope and life, healing, forgiveness at the cross of Jesus. And so we come to You because of that. Because your throne is a throne of grace. So today we come for help. Help in our time of need. Lord, as a nation, as we just acknowledged the 49th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, God, we pray today that there will not be a 50th anniversary to be acknowledged because it will be overturned. That would be our, our prayer And God, we ask that You will wake up Your people to the reality of this. And help us to live with a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview, which includes both an understanding of this issue and what it is, and an understanding of forgiveness that is offered to all those who've been impacted by this. God, may we we be people of truth and grace. And God, would you heal our, our land of this grave evil. God, may you help me to speak this day with truth and grace. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. A study that is conducted by LifeWay Research shows that many women with unplanned pregnancies go silently from the church pew to the abortion clinic. Convinced church would gossip rather than help. Researchers found that more than four in ten women would have had an abortion, who have had an abortion, were churchgoers when they ended a pregnancy. But only 7% of women discussed their abortion decision with anyone at church. Three-fourths say that the church had no influence on their decision to terminate a pregnancy. Also among women who have had an abortion, the majority, that is 54%, think churches oversimplify decisions about pregnancy options. Fewer than half believe churches are prepared to help with decisions about unwanted pregnancies. Only 38% of women who have had an abortion consider church a safe place to discuss pregnancy options, including parenting, abortion, and adoption. More than half of churchgoers who have had an abortion say no one at church knows it. Nearly half of women who have had an abortion say pastors' teachings on forgiveness don't seem to apply to terminated pregnancies. What these findings tell me is, first of all, the church needs to do a better job. And when I say the church, I'm talking about the church worldwide or or particularly in the U.S. Believers need to do a better job of caring for each other. When we're faced with, with very difficult circumstances. It also tells me that Those of us who stand in pulpits need to do a better job of teaching the church about what the Bible has to say about this issue. 
according to some of the major research groups that deal with the issue of abortion, 600,000 abortions happen each year in the United States. And since 1973, the Roe v. Wade decision, which yesterday was the 49th anniversary, if you will, it is estimated that more than 63 million abortions have been performed. I don't even know how to make sense of that kind of number. Based on the research, about one in four women will have an abortion by the age of 45. One in four. Now obviously, statistics can be skewed. There are people who have multiple abortions, so that means there are less right, people that have them. But, but the fact is that one in four. What that means is that it is very likely that in the hearing of my voice this morning in this room and online, there are many people who have been directly affected by abortion. Either you have had an abortion as a woman, or you are, as a young man, got a young lady pregnant and you paid for or took her to or encouraged her or maybe didn't and she had one anyway. And your life has been impacted because that was your child. Or you're a parent whose daughter or son was a part of a, a pregnancy that ended in an abortion. Or you're indirectly affected by this issue in that you know of somebody, a close friend or relative who's experienced this. Chances are that covers almost all of us. In fact, we all know somebody. We just don't know we know who they are. We don't know they had one, but we know them. So how we talk about this issue matters. But it starts with how we believe about this issue. It is a highly emotional issue because it is also a political issue, but it is first and foremost a biblical issue. It is highly emotional because for those who have experienced this, it is personally emotional. And so I understand that in addressing this issue. And I am speaking to some who have a very highly emotional response or reaction to this. And so I have been very intentional about praying that God would help me to speak truth with grace. Because we cannot compromise either one. And so as followers of Christ, we must have clarity on the issue of abortion. Both what the Bible says about the value of human life and what the Bible says about forgiveness. Somehow, some way, we've forgotten one of those two, oftentimes. For those who are strongly pro-life, oftentimes, for them, the issue becomes political. And for them, it becomes an issue of, of making sure everybody knows the right thing. And so they become very um, uh, harsh in the way they speak about this issue because they want to emphasize the truth. They forget that there are people who are devastated by this issue that very well could be in the hearing of their voice. We don't think about it. Many would be concerned about that. There are some who wouldn't really be concerned about it. I just care about truth. And we can't compromise grace for the sake of truth. But we cannot compromise truth for the sake of grace. We must stand on the truth of what the Bible teaches us on this issue. But we must come at it and offer the grace for those who have been impacted by it. So, 
let's dive in. We're going to be going through all different places in the Scripture, so uh, we're going to have a sword drill, if you will, this morning. So we're going to be going. We're going to start in Genesis. We're going to answer a couple of questions, four to be exact. And the first one is, why should we value human life? Why should we value human life? Most of us can answer this question biblically, but I want to. I want to do. I want to go through this because it's important to lay this foundation. Genesis one verse twenty-seven. We are told, and God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Why should we value human life? First of all, because we have been created in the image of God. Male and female, He created them in His image. We, human beings, are made in the image of God. Alan Ross, in his comments, uh, in his book, Creation and Blessing, his commentary on the book of Genesis, writes this, the term image has been variously explained as personality, nature, that is, as body and spirit, or capacity for moral decisions. It does not signify a physical representation of corporeality, for God is a spirit. The term must therefore figuratively describe human life as a reflection of God's spiritual nature. That is, human life has the communicated attributes that came with the inbreathing. When God breathed life into that lump of clay He formed into a man, there is this something happened there where God placed His image into human beings. Consequently, it says, humans have spiritual life, ethical and moral sensitivities, conscience, and the capacity to represent God. The significance of the word image should be connected to the divine purpose for human life. One commentator has made the analogy that just as kings set up statues of themselves throughout the border of their land to show their sovereign domain, so God established His representatives on earth. You and me, made in the image of God. Human life, male and female, thus has great capacity and responsibility by virtue of being the image of God. First, humans may produce life, their own spiritual, physical life. If humans are to imitate God, then creating life is a basic part of that task. A man and a woman can produce a living soul. This privilege is part of their blessing from God, a blessing that includes divine enablement. For believers, childbirth is an act of worship, a sharing in the work of God, the one who created life. We are made in the image of God. And because of that, we see in Genesis chapter 9 that God takes seriously the taking of life. Verses, six and, uh, verses 5 and 6 of Genesis 9, after, after the flood, and we'll see, God says, And surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. God takes seriously the taking of human life because of the, the value of human life. We are made in His image. We're made with a capacity to have relationship with God, um, the capacity to, to have spiritual life. Secondly, Psalm 139, we have been Created fearfully and wonderfully. Psalm 139. Verses 13 through 16 says, For thou didst form my inward parts. This is David writing of God. And he says, Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret 
and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. And eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. They're fearfully and wonderfully made by God. In the womb, is forming us, weaving us, skillfully making us. The word wonderfully means to be distinct, separate, different, unique. Every one of us. Uniquely crafted, weaved, designed by God Himself. What this tells me is that in some way, though God set that, uh, that process into motion, God is involved in the weaving and fashioning of a baby in the womb of his or her mother. Job speaks of this. I'll just read a couple of verses. Job chapter 10, verses 10 through 12 says, Job says, Didst thou not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews? Thou hast granted me life and loving kindness. And thy care has preserved my spirit. The prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 44, 24 says, Thus says the Lord, our, your Redeemer, the one who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord, am, I am the maker of all things. Stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone. Jeremiah 1, verse 5, God speaking to the prophet who is reluctant <laughs> to go and, and be God's mouthpiece. And God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you and I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before I even formed you, I had a plan for you. Paul the Apostle in Galatians 1 says in verse 15, when he who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. These are reminders to us in the scripture. The value of human life. We are created by God in the womb fearfully and wonderfully. Thirdly, in Ephesians 2, Paul speaking about salvation, our need for Christ and, and how we come to know Him uh, by grace through faith. We are saved. And then in verse 10, he says, you are, you are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We've been created in Christ Jesus. God placed so much value upon you and upon me that He sent His Son to come into this world that through His death we might have life. And He redesigned us as a masterpiece in Christ Jesus. God has placed great value upon human life. This is critical as it relates to all people, both in the womb and outside of the womb. And often we think of it of this, and we think, "Well, that, yeah, that's why, that's why we got to stand up for for uh, you know pro life, and it is right." But sometimes the same people who are arguing for pro life are ignorant to their neighbor, who is also made in the image of God. We say we're pro life, but we don't treat other people. With that same, and so we've got to understand this is bigger than the issue of abortion. If we believe that life is human life is valuable, then it's value, and everyone is valuable in the womb and outside of the womb. Unfortunately, based on some of the research, we in the church don't always do a good job of caring for people outside of the womb who are hurting, who are needing help. But we've got to care 
for all human life. We've got to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. We've got to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. Because we believe the Bible teaches the value of human life. Those in the world may not consider this to be the final authority, and so they really don't care what the Bible says about human life. But we do. So this must be the basis of why we believe what we believe so we can have this clarity on the issue. Second question is, are those in the womb alive? Are these that are oftentimes simply referred to as a fetus? Um, um, Is that thing growing inside of the womb a real person and is he or she alive? Well, according to the Bible, they are. All we have to do is go to the story of, of, uh, that we just looked at a few weeks ago in, uh, in December. Uh, the story of Christ's birth. We go to Luke chapter 1. When the angel came to Zacharias when he was in the temple doing his priestly duty and the angel Gabriel came and stood beside him there at the altar and told him that he was going to, his wife was going to bear a son. And then in verse 14, He says uh, of Luke 1, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at His birth. Verse 15, For He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and He will drink no wine or liquor, and He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in His mother's womb. The Holy Spirit doesn't fill that which is not human life. This This is a real life. Gabriel believed so. And then you come later in chapter 1 when after Mary was told she was, going to, uh, she was going to bear the Son of God by the Holy Spirit. She yielded to this. Then she went to see Elizabeth because she was told by Gabriel that Elizabeth was with child. And so she went to Elizabeth. And we are told in verse 41, it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 44, she says, Behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Elizabeth believed so. That this inside of her was a human life. Was alive. Because the baby leapt in her womb for joy. Let me share with you some of the realities of, of, of the development in the womb. And, and uh, those of you who are here who are, who are pregnant, you can get encouraged by this and know what's happening inside of your womb. Um, on the very first day, that baby exists inside of the mother's womb. Every detail about that baby is written in a cell smaller than a grain of salt. God knew what color their hair would be and their eyes, whether they would be a boy or a girl short or tall, even the exact shade of their skin. From the very first moment, they're uniquely you. After five weeks, the baby's heart begins in the womb, possibly before the mother even knows she's pregnant. At six weeks, the baby is growing inside of the mother. Eyes develop, little arms and legs begin to grow. The baby's beating heart can be seen on an ultrasound scan, beating about 100 to 120 times a minute. After just eight weeks, taste buds begin to form. By 10 weeks, the brain is growing every minute. The baby develops fingers and toes and can move its arms and legs, though the mother may not feel it for several more weeks. At 18 weeks, the baby can blink and frown. Around the same time, the baby develops its own unique set of fingerprints, and the mother begins to feel it wiggle inside of her. By 20 weeks, the baby can suck its thumb, yawn, and stretch, and may even get the hiccups. It may even have a favorite position for sleeping. By 24 weeks, the baby's ears are able to recognize the sound of its mother's voice, and loud noises in the mother's environment may startle it. It's just weeks 
these things become evident. No question. Those in the womb are alive. So the next question is, what about cases of rape, incest, or deformity in the child? This is a hot topic right, in political realms. This is what they run to. I understand these issues have many layers of difficulty associated with them. But again, difficulty does not nullify the Word of God. So we must understand what the Scripture says. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16. We're given, a, I think, a clear mandate regarding how to see this issue. Because clearly, rape and incest is a sin. And many people say, well, I, I, how can I bear a child that is a result of sinful behavior and and, and, and again, there's a lot of emotion involved with that. There's a lot of, a lot of difficulty. And, and I want to be sensitive to that and, and the realities that people face. But the Bible tells us this in verse 16 of Deuteronomy 24. Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. And so the issue here is children should not die for their father's sin. It really is no different, you know, when, when we say, well, that if we just terminate the pregnancy and we don't have to deal with all the issues that come along with, uh, with, with that, you know, again, as a result of maybe rape or incest. But that would be the same thing as taking a person who commits a, a crime like that and then looking at their own child that's already out of the womb and putting a gun to their head and saying, well, I'm just going to take their life. We would never do that because that person who committed that crime should pay for their own, not the child. And yet, because of the culture we live in, it seems more acceptable. Biblically, it is not. If we view abortion as a convenient alternative to being pregnant, then we will see these issues as valid reasons for abortion. But if we hold to what we've just been talking about, the value of human life, and that that child in the womb is really alive and is a, a human being, then we must not justify abortion in these cases. Again, I understand there is great complexity. But we must be clear on what is right. And we must settle this issue before we're faced with the reality of the circumstances. Because if not, we'll oftentimes let the emotion of the circumstance dictate the decision that we make. And that's why I think it's critical that Pastors like, uh, like myself speak on this issue so that we can make sure we have biblical clarity so that when we're faced with it, we know that's not an option. Secondly, how about in situations where there's a clear deformity in the child? Exodus 4 verse 11. If you're reading through the Bible, uh, through the, the Bible uh, reading plan that we have, then you will have just read this passage yesterday. Exodus chapter 4. When God is calling Moses to be the spokesman, to go to Pharaoh and, and to, to say, let my people go. And he says in verse 10, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent in neither recently nor in time past nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And he's saying, basically, God, find somebody else. I, I ain't so good at talking. 
And then God says to him, verse 11, Who has made man's mouth, and who makes him dumb or deaf, or who seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Interesting. God takes credit. For making people dumb or deaf or blind. Physical and mental abnormalities do not nullify the value of life. God has a purpose. God allows special needs for his special purposes. Here's a reason. The fact that Moses had some problem with communicating was not an accident. Maybe he stuttered. That's no accident. God works through our human frailties and weaknesses to accomplish His purposes. We see in Isaiah 45, uh, again the prophet Isaiah, as he's, as he's speaking, um, God is, is saying um, verses 9 through 11, 9 and 10 rather, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthen, earthenware vessel among the vessels of the earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing that you are making has says, he has no hands. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, to what are you giving birth? In other words, it uses that imagery of the, the potter and the clay, right? What, who, what piece of clay says to the potter, why would you make me like this? It just doesn't happen. Why? And so the, the issue that God is saying is, we have no right to question the maker for why he chooses to make us the way he does. He has a purpose and a plan for the things that He does. Jesus acknowledges this in John chapter 9 when His disciples question Him about a man who was born blind. John chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And He passed by, He saw a man blind from birth, and His disciples asked Him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus said, it is neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. And he healed him of his blindness. God has a purpose. And that purpose is great value. God works through our, our weaknesses, our inabilities, And who are we to determine the value of a life based upon whether that child is going to be what we would call normal or not? Again, I understand that there's great complexity when these kinds of issues are involved. And yet, we must approach the, the realities of these things biblically. When it involves sin, sin always has consequences in this life. Whether it's our sinful behavior or someone else's sin that it now affects us, there are always going to be ramifications in this life. But we don't always look for the easy way. We, we, we want to address uh, life biblically. And then we come to the last question. Does God forgive post-abortive women and men? What I mean by post-abortive is anyone who's been involved in an abortion in the past. Women who have had an abortion, men who have been a part of that. Does God forgive this? Or is this the unforgivable sin? Is this the one thing that, uh, uh, that God cannot forgive? What does the Bible say to us? Because let me be clear, 
Though this is the, the topic of today's message, this sin is no different than any other sin that any one of us have been involved in. I hope that if you are here in the hearing of my voice and this issue is very directly uh, affected you, that you do not hear me saying that you are you that your sin is far greater than anyone else's. I want to be clear about the issue. It is life, and then the taking of a life. That's what abortion is. Uh, Planned Parenthood defines abortion as a medical procedure uh, that ends a pregnancy. When we talk in those terms, it sounds like it's just a choice. Well, I can choose to be pregnant or not to be pregnant. But if it's a, a medical procedure that ends a life, that's a very different issue. But that's what it is. So we've got to be clear on that. But we also got to be clear. God forgives us of our sin. And there are four scriptures I want to refer to. The first is in Psalm 103. When God lays out for us a beautiful picture of who He is as a God who forgives. Psalm 103. We have time and so I'm going to read it. Verses 1 down through verse 14. I want you to hear this. David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. Just, just stop there for a moment and think about this. Because David knows what he's going to say. He's thinking about what, who God is and what, what God has done for him. And he has great reason to give glory and praise to God. And the more we understand our sinfulness, the reality of choices that we've made, and we have experienced the forgiveness of God, the more that we can understand David's, David's saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And everything that's in me cries out to the Lord to praise and bless His name. Why? Because of who God is. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget none of His benefits, who pardons all your iniquities. Underline that word all. Right? Who heals all all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. That's what God does for us. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. That's hard for us to accept, isn't it? We know the sinfulness of our own hearts. This is God's Word. The question is, am I going to believe what God says or am I going to believe what I think or what I feel? <laughs> right? we're, we're in this dilemma constantly. But let the truth speak to you. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Satisfies your years with good things so that your, your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. And the fact that He sent Jesus to take our sin upon Himself is proof that this is who God is. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so far, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. He Himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. He knows what, what, what he knows that we are we struggle in this life. He knows that we, we struggle when we are faced with hard decisions and dilemmas about life and, and, and what is this going to mean for the rest of my life? My life is going to be altered completely. Your life is already altered. Once that once that baby begins to grow in your womb, your life is going to be different. Whether you choose to abort or choose to keep, that will affect you the rest of your life. 
Choose life. Choose God's way. And let God bring incredible blessing. But you see, the great thing about God is God can take something we've done, choices we've made that were wrong, and He can turn them into incredible blessing. I wish we had time to just have have different people come up and, and share stories of of um, of the incredible blessing in their life that a child from an unplanned pregnancy is to them. I wish we had time to have people come up who have had abortions, who have found healing. Who, who can tell you the story of what an incredible blessing it is to know about God's forgiveness and how God is now using that to minister to other people. God can take our junk and turn it into something glorious. That's the kind of God that we serve. And so the point is, God has removed our transgressions far from us. He's removed them. Through Jesus Christ, He's removed them. Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a great place to go if you're struggling with guilt, sin, whether it's this issue or any other issue. Because here we have King David, a man after God's own heart, who, who is who has just committed adultery and murder. This is a great psalm uh, that helps us to walk through the process of confessing our sin and repenting of our sin and understanding God's forgiveness. What we're told in verse 17 is that God... Um, is looking for a broken and contrite heart, right? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, Thou wilt not despise. God is looking for, for David in this context to acknowledge his sin before God and to receive the forgiveness that God offers him. And that broken and contrite heart is evidence of that. And that's what God's looking for. In our lives, and so I would I would highly encourage you, uh, if you are struggling with guilt over um, something you have done, again it doesn't even have to be this issue, but anything, and you're struggling with, go here, process through this, pray through this, get a commentary and read it and understand more of what's going on here, where you can find great encouragement and forgiveness from God through His Word. Third text I want to go to is John chapter 8 when we have this woman who is caught in adultery brought before Jesus by the, by the religious leaders. They didn't care about her. They wanted to trap Jesus. Clearly she was caught in this sexual sin. She was guilty. And yet, as we go through this story, and Jesus says, let his without sin cast the first stone. They all dropped their stones and walked away. And Jesus is left there with her. And he says, is there no one to condemn you? She says, no one, Lord. He says, neither do I. Go your way from now on, sin no more. So Jesus said, go and sin no more. So, so the, the, the issue for us is, again, whether, whether we've been directly affected by this issue of abortion or, or some other sin in our life that we're struggling to, to find forgiveness, understand, God cast your sin as far as the east is from the west through Jesus Christ. He's taking care of it. He's looking for a broken and contrite heart, a repentant heart that comes before Him and says, I know I've done wrong. Need your forgiveness, and he loves that. He's not looking for someone who's going to make up for their wrong by trying to do.
do stuff by sacrificing more and more. No, he's looking for a broken and contrite heart. And then he says to us, okay, now you've received forgiveness. Now I want you to get up and I want you to move forward, but don't continue in these patterns of sinfulness. Go and sin no more. Find a new pattern in your life. Find someone to help you walk a different path. A mentor, a disciple, somebody who can help you walk differently. And then the last verse I want to take us to is in Romans chapter 2. Where Apostle Paul makes a statement that I think is so important for us to keep in mind. Especially if we are prone to um, be harsh in our comments about issues and, and sin. And again, truth is truth. We've got to stand on the truth, but we've got to have grace. And this is what he says. Do you think lightly, this is Romans 2, verse 4, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads to repentance? It's kindness, not condemnation, that leads people to repentance. Somehow, somewhere, we've, we've forgotten this and we've kind of thought it's the other way. Well, if I prove to somebody I'm right on this issue and they're wrong, that will lead them to repentance. Rarely ever does that happen. Because guess what? We all have a, a pride in us. Let me tell you, when somebody comes in kindness, lays out the truth, but does so in kindness, and, and demonstrates that they care about us, we're much more willing to hear what is being said and to consider it and allow that truth to speak into our lives. That's how God deals with us. He never compromises the truth, but He always comes in compassion and grace and kindness. That's who He is, and that's who He calls us to be. It's kindness, not condemnation, that leads people to repentance. You have in your, in your bulletin a, a handout that... Um, it says 10 things you can do to support life. I want to encourage you to consider one of those. Different things you can do. Commit to praying. Writing a letter of encouragement. Offering yourself uh, and your time, maybe your professional skills to help at, at the PMI in some way. Or, or maybe go through training. There will be some training coming up this spring for, for the pregnancy ministries in our area. Um, many different things that you can do to support life. I encourage you to consider. Ask the Lord. Is there something here. Or maybe something beyond this list. That you can do to be a part of this. And let me say that. If today you find yourself. In that struggle. That dilemma. Because. Whether it's this issue. Or any other issue. You find yourself. In a cold sweat. Like I, I'm, I'm dealing with something right now in, inside of me. Nobody else knows about it. Maybe a few people know about it, but, but I'm faced with this, and I don't know what to do with it. But I know, I know, I can't keep going without, without coming before God with it. I hope I've been very clear. There's forgiveness found in Jesus Christ, for you whatever you've done. And you can come before Him today and lay that thing at His feet and find real forgiveness. Healing may be a process that you need to go through. And by the way, if, if, again, if it is this issue of abortion, Pregnancy Ministries has a ministry called Restore to help people, men and women, walk through the healing process. So I encourage you, and it's very confidential, reach out to, to them. But you can find forgiveness today. You can be set free from this thing. Coming before the Lord. Laying at His feet. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. And we're not singing the song that's in the bulletin. We're singing a, a different song.
um, just as I am, and yet it, it, it's, it's a hymn, but it also has a, a chorus that invites us to, to express through the words of the song our heart's desire to come to Him broken, um, weak, and weary, um, and lay it at His feet. Just as we are, we can come with all of our junk and lay it at His feet and find that He, he alone fully understands he alone can fully forgive. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you are a Father who is compassionate and kind. That you are slow to anger, unlike many of us. And you are abounding in loving kindness. Again, unlike many of us, Lord, and I confess to you that I, I am not always slow to anger. I am not always abounding in loving kindness. But God, that's who you are. First of all, Lord, would you make us as your children more like you? And Lord, would you, would you let those who are who are in the hearing of my voice right now, who are panicking because they almost feel like they've just been exposed. God, you see it. And you're offering in these moments full pardon through Jesus Christ. They will come. loving us to the very end. That we might be truly forgiven and healed. Brought into the family. That we might know and understand forgiveness and be able to offer it to others. The God who comforts us and use us to comfort others. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we